Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. As we get started this morning, I'd like to ask all of us who are able to stand together, and we're going to read the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and that even goes for those people sitting at home. Uh, you can stand in your living room and read the Lord's Prayer with us. We'll be reading it from the Gospel of Matthew, which Zach read earlier. We'll have the verses on the screen as we read. So, starting Matthew chapter 6, second half of verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can take a seat. It can be argued that the prayer we just prayed together contains some of the most frequently spoken words in all of human history. Generations of Christians have prayed this prayer while sitting in churches, kneeling by beds, and gathering around dinner tables. And hearts and minds may not have always been totally engaged, as that prayer was said, but those words have been spoken by countless tongues and lips. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to take a deep dive into these words, the Lord's Prayer. Because the fact that we've said it a lot, or read it a lot, or could even recite it in our sleep, doesn't mean that we really understand it. And no matter how long we've been believers in Jesus, there is always value in regularly asking Christ to once again teach us to pray. So we'll begin our series this morning with a few opening questions, not just about this particularly well-known prayer, but about prayer in general. So open up to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Feel free to follow along wherever you are, here or at home. But before we do any reading, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. Thank you that we can come into your presence in prayer. We can come to you as your children. Thank you that we can pray and know that you hear us. Thank you that we can come to you not in anxiety, not in terror, but in confidence and in love, knowing that you love us because of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. Thank you that we get to come into your presence in prayer at moments like this, and that it's just this brief preview of eternity in your presence. Uh, So, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to meet with you uh, in the context of prayer. Thank you that we get to gather together once a week on Sunday mornings and pray, uh, that we do not just pray my Father, but we pray our Father, uh, that we are brothers and sisters here worshiping in this place, that we have brothers and sisters all over the world who at this very moment could be praying the same prayer and could be reading from your word as well. We pray for those brothers and sisters, we pray for their churches, and we ask that you watch over our church. Lord, may our time be honoring to you this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being here together. 
We love you. We honor you. We thank you for Jesus. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, perhaps you've read articles or heard about studies recently, all arguing that our world is getting more and more secular every day. And, you know, in some ways that appears to be true, but it also might not be quite that simple. While people are less likely to consider themselves religious in the formal sense of the term, regularly attending church services, getting baptized, or being a committed church member, the truth is that people are just as interested as ever in spiritual practices. Fascination with New Age or Eastern spiritual practices has increased in recent years. There's even a term called DIY religion, do-it-yourself religion, for those who mix and match different spiritual practices to suit their needs and desires at any given moment. And as you might expect, those needs and desires can quickly change. Tarot cards are still sold. Horoscopes are still printed in newspapers. And oh yeah, people still pray. Our study found that 30% of atheists admitted that they prayed sometimes. Another study found that 17% of non-believers in God, according to their own chosen labels, pray regularly. And sure, just because people might consider themselves less formally religious doesn't mean that people are less spiritual. And even as the world supposedly gets more and more secular, there seems to be this enduring attraction to prayer. But for our purposes this morning, what exactly is prayer? Is prayer just a Christian version of mindfulness or meditation? Is it a therapeutic practice of self-talk without anyone actually on the other end of the line? Is it just a helpful diversion that doesn't really accomplish anything, but you might feel a little bit better when you're done? Well, in the Bible, prayer is when people created in God's image call out to the God who created them. It's when people created in God's image call out to the God who created them. Now, of course, people can pray to false gods. We see that in the Bible. We see that in our world today. But there's only one God who actually hears our prayers. Prayer can take lots of different forms. You can pray publicly. You can pray privately. You can pray together. You can pray alone. You can pray quietly or loudly. You can pray for a long time or a short time. When you're happy, when you're sad, you can stand or you can kneel. You can have your eyes open or you can have your eyes closed. The point is that prayer is when people created in God's image call out to the God who created them, no matter what way, shape, or form that it takes. But how exactly do we do it? I mean, the sermon series is called Teach Us to Pray. So how do we pray? Well, for that question, we turn to Matthew chapter 6. Now, before we read, it might be helpful to set the stage quickly. The words of Matthew 6 occur early on in Jesus' ministry. Jesus has called his first few disciples, performed some miracles, 
And news of his accomplishments has spread far and wide, and crowds are starting to form. But up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus hasn't really said that much. But when you get to Matthew 5, Jesus speaks at length. And more specifically, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. He starts by giving the Beatitudes, some seemingly counterintuitive teachings about what it looks like to be truly blessed. He makes it clear that his followers are called to be distinct from the world around them, like light and darkness or salt on a bland dish. He says he came to fulfill the Old Testament law and that his followers are called to do the same. But his teaching on the Old Testament law makes it clear that we can't and we won't. He teaches on things like possessions, worry, judging, God's provision. He gives the golden rule. He warns of false prophets, so-called followers who don't really know him at all. And then ends by saying that those who do not listen to his words are doomed to destruction. Like a house built on sand in a storm. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying things that no one had ever heard before. And the crowd is blown away by it. But then right in the middle of it, we have this. We have the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' teaching on prayer is directly connected to his teaching on giving to the poor, Matthew 6, 1 through 4, and fasting, Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. Giving, praying, and fasting are the three go-to, seemingly universal religious practices. So the crowds might be thinking, what is there to know? But unsurprisingly, Given all of his wild words and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had specific and unique instructions. Jesus' disciples are taught to pray in a very new and different way. So we can finally read Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. You might think of the parable that Jesus taught about the tax collector and the Pharisee standing outside of the temple. And the Pharisee prays very loudly and says, God, thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. Thank you that I am so holy that I've got my life together so much better than he does. That's the kind of person we're picturing here in Matthew 6. Jesus continues, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse six. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The first simple takeaway from Jesus' words in these verses is that his disciples are expected to pray. He says, when you pray. 
that implies that it ought to be a regular occurrence. Now, Jesus's mostly Jewish audience would have already been familiar with prayer all the way back to Abraham himself. There are countless wonderful Old Testament examples of God's people calling out to him long before the Virgin Mary ever felt her baby kick. Jews had a special connection to God that no one else on earth could claim. They were his people, chosen by his grace. So an expectation of prayer would not have been anything new. It wouldn't have been surprising or controversial. Most pious Jews had already trained themselves to pray three times per day, if not more. But where Jesus' teaching starts to get a little more challenging is when he talks about how to pray. He doesn't jump right into the content of the Lord's Prayer. He doesn't just instantly give the words. He starts by addressing our motives. First, he says, do not pray like the hypocrites. That word hypocrite was often used of actors in the ancient world. But in this context, it gets at at the idea of someone who is insincere or disingenuous. Praying like a hypocrite means you aren't really calling out to God. You're just playing a part. The hypocrites Jesus referred to were only praying for worldly attention and worldly praise. They were only praying to show off their supposed holiness. They weren't really calling out to God at all. They were more concerned about sending a message to those who were watching. In our contemporary terms, you might call it virtue signaling. That's what these prayers were doing. But here's the scary thing. It just might work. According to Jesus, the hypocrites who pray to make themselves look good may actually end up getting the worldly applause, the worldly approval that they seek. But also, according to Jesus, that is all that they will get. So instead, Jesus instructs us to pray in a way that no one but God can see you or hear you. Maybe you've heard the old proverb that Your character is who you are when no one is looking. Well, something similar might be said of prayer. A minister by the name of Murray McShane once wrote, What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Praying quietly and privately will not get you any worldly accolades. But you can be confident of the only reward that matters from the only hearer who matters. And now on a quick side note, this passage does not forbid praying in public. Jesus did it. The church in Acts did it. The Apostle Paul did it. We did it a few minutes ago. The issue Jesus is addressing here isn't so much the setting of your prayer. It's the motive of your prayer. The issue isn't who's around you when you're praying. The issue is who you're really praying for. Are you praying to God or are you praying for the people who are watching? So don't pray like the hypocrites. But second, do not pray like the Gentiles. 
Jesus is likely referring to those who do not follow him, those who do not know the one true God. One of the marks of pagans in the ancient world was how many words they would use in their prayers. In short, when they prayed, they would try to impress their so-called God. And what's worse, they weren't trying to impress their God because they loved him or because they loved her. They were buttering their God up to convince them to give them what they wanted. More babies, bigger crops, greater military victories, you name it. And by using those many words, by trying to impress their God, they were trying to get their God's will to line up with theirs, which, as we'll see in a couple weeks, is the exact opposite of what Jesus will teach in the Lord's Prayer. We do not pray that God's will would line up with ours, but rather that our will would conform to God's. But wait a minute. Let's think about this. To a certain extent, isn't Christians praying, trying to get God to do what we want him to do? Isn't that part of the whole point? Well, yes and no. Not exactly. Because according to Jesus, God already knows what we need. God does not need us to educate him of anything. He doesn't need us to inform him of anything. In the words of theologian Wesley Hill, God isn't looking to have his arm twisted or to be cajoled or bargained with or manipulated. We can give up all our anxious efforts to pacify, convince or haggle with God. He already knows what we need. So then the question becomes, well, if God already knows what we need, if we're not trying to convince him of something, then why do we pray? Well, we pray because we love God. We pray because we want him to do what he has already promised and trust that he will. We don't pray because we think he overlooked something or forgot about something, or needs to be pressured into something. We pray to God because we need him. We pray to God because we trust him. We pray to God because we love him. So before Jesus utters a single word of the famous Lord's Prayer, he's already taught us a great deal about how to pray. Lesson one, we are expected to pray. Another way to word it might be that we are invited to pray. We are invited to cry out to the God who created us. As Christians, it's simply who we are. It's what we do. One author says that calling on the name of the Lord is the definitive mark of the people of God. Martin Luther once wrote, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes, and of cobblers to mend shoes. So it is the business of Christians to pray. It's who we are. It's what we do. Think of it this way. If we really believe that the God who spoke the universe into existence out of nothing expects us and invites us to talk to him, and if we really believe that he will listen to us when we do, 
Little old us. Then why in the world wouldn't we do it? We are expected to pray. We are graciously invited to pray. Lesson number two is we pray humbly. We do not pray to make ourselves look good. We do not pray to impress people. And we do not pray to impress God. We pray out of a desire to glorify him, not glorify ourselves. As we'll read next week, we pray to hallow his name, to honor his name, not to make a name for ourselves. So we are expected to pray, we pray humbly, and we pray confidently. We pray with the confidence that even if nobody else can hear us, even if nobody else cares, even if nobody else listens, God does. We pray with the confidence that even though he is in secret, his reward for us is eternal. And when his kingdom comes, when his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, he won't be secret anymore. And neither will our reward. We pray with the confidence that God already knows what we need. And we pray with the confidence that God will meet our needs. So bringing it all together. If all of this is true, that God expects us and invites us to call out to him, that he hears us even when nobody else does, that we don't have to impress him or butter him up, then why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more? I'm sure every one of us in this room has been guilty of giving the usual excuses for a lack of prayer. We're too busy. We're forgetful. We get exhausted and fall asleep. But allow me to suggest that if those are our reasons, that indicates that we don't fully understand the privilege of prayer. Again, I'll remind you and I'll remind myself that the God of the universe invites you and invites me to speak with him. How absurd is it to say that we are too busy for that? How ridiculous is it for us to forget to do that? How can we possibly be too tired to do that? Or maybe our lack of prayer comes from something deeper. It comes from a sense of arrogance or an absence of desire. Maybe we've convinced ourselves that we've got things pretty well under control. And honestly, we don't really need to speak with him most of the time. Maybe if things really go haywire, we'll reach out to him, have him on speed dial just in case. But most of the time, we've got things handled. Or maybe we just don't really want to pray to him. We just don't really get the appeal. He hasn't really treated us the way we think he ought to, and so we kind of just give him the silent treatment. Well, we are fools if we think that we do not need him. We are fools if we give him the silent treatment and overlook this privilege, this honor of approaching him in prayer. If we think that we do not need him, we have a much too high view of ourselves. And if we think that we'd rather do something else than pray, 
then we have an incredibly low view of him. Or maybe we don't pray because we simply don't know how. It just doesn't feel like anything's happening. We're not sure if we're doing it right. It feels like there must be some kind of user error here. Well, if that's you, then you're in good company. Because Jesus' disciples probably felt the same way. In the Gospel of Luke, that account of the Lord's Prayer, the disciples approach Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We don't know how. We need guidance. Well, in the coming weeks, as we read the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us how. And when we learn how to pray from the mouth of Jesus himself, it leaves us no excuse not to do it. Again, prayer is an overwhelming privilege. One that sinners like us, left to ourselves, frankly do not deserve. Who are we to demand a hearing with God? Our sin makes us his enemies. But maybe you noticed several times as we read today. Maybe you noticed it a few times that we prayed today. And we'll look at this at far more detail in verse 9 next week. Maybe you notice that Jesus consistently refers to God as our Father. Our Father. Jesus insists that his disciples can come to God as his children, not as his enemies. We come to God in prayer not because we have to, but because we get to. It's because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on the cross that we can pray to God as his sons and daughters. As Hebrews chapter 4 puts it, we can approach God's throne with confidence, with joy, with expectation. Thanks to Jesus, we can pray to God as our Father. And not only that, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us how to do it. We'll learn more in the coming weeks, but let's close this morning with prayer. Father, again, thank you for this overwhelming privilege of prayer. It's so easy to fall into routine. It's so easy for us as individuals. It's so easy for us as a church to treat prayer very flippantly. We tack it on the beginning of a meal without really fully knowing what we're doing. We insert it at some point in a worship service just to fill time. Sometimes we come into prayer not really fully aware of the incredible privilege and the incredible honor that we have. And so, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that this morning. Remind us of the significance of prayer and teach us to pray in the coming weeks. Thank you that even when we are distracted in prayer, thank you that when we don't know what to say, you are gracious to us. Thank you that your Holy Spirit helps us when we pray and we don't know what to say, according to Romans 8. Thank you that when we pray and our prayers are sometimes even selfish, sometimes even misguided, sometimes even arrogant or entitled, Thank you that your son is interceding for us at this moment at your right hand. 
thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are growing us and maturing us and shaping us in holiness. I pray that every single day, every single prayer would be more honoring to you, that we would slowly but surely learn to conform our will to yours, that we would come to you humbly with nothing to prove because we have everything we need in Christ. I pray that we would come to you confidently, not just praying because we don't know what else to do, not just praying because we've tried everything else and I guess we're desperate, but but praying to you because we actually believe in you, praying to you because we actually believe that you can do the things you've promised to do, that you can do the things we need you to do. Lord, grow us in prayer. Give us a deeper hunger and a deeper desire to come into your presence in prayer and remind us day in and day out that this privilege that we have of praying is not found in anything we've done. It's not found in who we are. It's found in what Christ has done. It's found in who Christ is. So Lord, teach us to pray in the coming weeks and remind us of who it is and why it is that we can pray to you to begin with. We love you, we worship you, we honor you, we hallow your name. We ask this all in Jesus' name.